Everything we have is to be traded. It's to be given because the life of Jesus is too sacred to hide away and bury. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Everything is for sale because nothing is sacred. Everything is for sale because nothing is sacred. Uh, Don't you just love in the parable, the people that you know that, you know, they get five talents and they go away and they invest and they, all of a sudden they just double their money. They just make five more just like that. You're going, how do you do that? How does that happen? Uh, I grew up in a house where everything was for sale and nothing was sacred. And I would marvel at my dad. And sometimes I would marvel and sometimes I would cuss because the things that I began to hold precious were for sale because nothing is sacred. So, uh, you know, I remember my first vehicle was an early 80s model Ford pickup. It was kind of a clunker, but I loved it and I knew how to drive it. I even had to plug it in in the ag shop when I got to school or it wouldn't start after school in the winter. So it was just, you know, it was real special to me. I had a tape deck put in it. Uh, and I had these speakers in the back, and I mean, I was, I was excited. I loved this truck, and then one day I come home, and Dad's like, hey, I sold your truck. What? You sold my truck, my, my only truck? You know, of course, I'm just a whiny, you know, 15-year-old, and I was like, I can't believe you sold my truck. Um, and I, you know, my dad was just, he was a trader. He was a good old-fashioned horse trader. He still is. I shouldn't say was. He still is. Um, and uh, our, my first guitar when I was 19, uh, my dad traded for it. Uh, he traded a windshield for it, I think, which is kind of a strange thing to do. So that's, people say, well, how much is your guitar worth, a windshield? Uh, that's, and uh, so it was just a strange thing to grow up in the house where everything was for sale. I mean, our, nothing was sacred. Your, your house, no, nothing. Anywhere you live, anything you do, any land that you own, uh, it's all for, always for sale all the time. That's just how my dad uh, made his living. So everything was there. So uh, what makes this possible, as I said, is that nothing is sacred. There's no sentimentality. The really good traders have no sentimentality. They don't, they're not a, in, attached to anything because everything's for sale. It's the thrill of the chase, you know, for people like that. And my dad would have been a great MLB uh, GM. You know, he would have been a great John Daniels. Because, you know, about the time you get excited, I'm getting some looks from the Rangers fans like, please replace that guy. Maybe your dad's still not too old to do that. Um, but, you know, you, about the time you get to love a player, you buy the jersey, you're all excited, you're training your kids up to love the way they play, and who do they get traded to? the Yankees or the Red Sox. So I know we have Yankees fan watching the live stream and I'm just saying, we don't hate the Yankees because we hate, we hate the Yankees because you get all our good players. You know, we get them ready and we can't afford them anymore. So nothing is sacred if you're a, a major league baseball GM. So that's why my dad would have been good. Um, and it's, that, it's just that good old-fashioned, you know, people that just go through life, you smoke them if you've got them, right? Don't let anything sit in there. It's ready. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. They're the ones sitting in the stands going, just take the daggum shot because you don't know. You might miss, but you're dang sure going to miss if you don't ever shoot. So these are the people telling us, now I'm, I'm putting this in a positive light. 
Horse trading in its best sense, like the kind of horse trading that David McCullough said got the Constitution written in 1787, right? The guys that stayed after the fact and got the Constitution actually put together, uh, they were the ones that were willing to do a little horse trading and get together, and uh, everybody else went to the pub, and they stayed late and got it drafted. That's how it got done. And so that's what I'm talking I'm not talking about cheating horse traders. There are actual horse traders who are lying cheats, and you don't want to be, I mean, they'll, they'll dope up a horse and say, oh, yeah, he's gentle, and you get him home and he bucks you off. You're like, what's going on? You said he was gentle. You know, but he was drugged when you rode him in the ring. So that's how that works. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the good old fashioned, good horse trading. So, so then I come along and I'm Mr. Sentimentality. You know, I'm the oldest son of a horse trader and I want to keep everything because it doesn't matter if it's just a piece of junk. I love it because you gave it to me and I'm never going to get rid of it. I'm going to find a box for it and I'm going to keep it forever. So, um, I've always known this parable, this text from a young age. You know, we all hear about it in various monetary lessons and different things. And even from a young age, it bugged me. I was like, this just seems unfair. It's a little cruel. I mean, it's like if you're not savvy enough to make it through Shark Tank, you can't be a Christian. Like, what is going on? It's like we're getting kicked to the curb for how we're not, we're not good traders. We're being punished. Or it seemed like a reckoning where those that have plenty get more and those that already don't have enough Get what they had taken away from them, so they get kicked to the curb. It's like, Jesus, what are you trying to teach us here? So let's take a closer look at what's happening in the parable. And you'll hear this read. Of course, this could be a, a great lesson on how you manage your money and how you invest, and you shouldn't just leave money sitting in your sock drawer or whatever. But we don't need Jesus to understand that, right? I mean, we can learn that from our bankers. That's not something we need Jesus for. So uh, what, what's, what's going on in the parable? What's happening here? Well, clearly, a good reminder as we go on in the context of Matthew, as we talked about last week, do you hear the phrase in there when, he, when, he, when the ones come back that have invested wisely, and what, what does the master say? He says, come, you, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. This, anytime we talk about the end of the world, the end of all things, the judgment, we remember that the context is joy. There is immense joy around the throne of God. God is not a grumpy old man. He is a lively God. There is just fullness of joy, right? In your presence, the psalmist said, is the fullness of joy forevermore. We love, we love to be in the presence of God. It's couched in joy, this whole thing. That's where we want to be. So our ultimate destination is a joy-filled place. That's where we're headed. God's economy is joy-based. We work hard now, yes, and we grow and we suffer but it's not because we're just good little boys and girls and we're doing our duty and, you know, that's just how it is. Because God's kingdom is bursting with joy. And if we miss that part, then we're missing Christ. So it does require work now. It requires suffering now and sorrow now. And we're on our way. So the most common way to hear this text interpreted is a wonderful way. The call of the text where we are basically asked to employ our talents generously. Whatever you have, whatever gifts and talents you have, share them generously. Like, that's the gist of it. It's a wonderful message, and it's a great word. Now, a talent, of whether it be gold or silver or copper, uh, we, we know that it's, it's a weight measurement. So talent, uh, and that's where we kind of get our English word for like, oh, he's so talented, or did you see that talent? He does that basket weaving he's so great at. Um, but we, we get that word from this parable. And Talent is a weight measurement, and basically a talent of silver, let's say, was about, I mean, somewhere between 15 and 20 years of manual labor wages. Can you believe that? So the guy that gets handed five, that's five lifetimes of work 
he gets handed to go and trade with. And he says, well, he went off and traded, you know. Um, so that's the kind of money that we're dealing with here. That's the weight. So anybody here in the parable would have said, they got a whole talent? They had a, a talent in their hand? He had five talents? What was happening? That's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. So the, the interpretation goes on to say, we have been entrusted with so much, the weight of what we have as human beings. Our voices, our hands, our skills, our feet, our uh, ability to discern, uh, the things that we accumulate, the resources that we have, what we inherit, what we earn, immense resources, and we've been entrusted with so much. So we should be faithful with the much that we've been given, and that's how it works. As we go along in this logic of the text, it's, I think, helpful to take an inventory every once in a while, you know, because if you're like me, uh, you tend to look around and say at everyone else and say, just see, oh gosh, that person's so talented, and oh, that person has such great resources over here, and oh, what great talent over here, and we, we really pause, though, and we take inventory, and we realize, my gosh, there are talents all around me. Some, some that are ours, some that we have access to. So it's great to pause and take inventory. It's like the value of doing a budget, right? When you're getting ready to get married or you first get married or you're, anytime you're needing to do that to kind of figure out where we are, the value of a budget, actually writing it down is incredible. Any financial planner or advisor will tell you, you know, most people think they know where they are, but until you put it on paper and you get that statement from the bank that says this is what you're worth, uh, we're a little off. And so it just, it illuminates. And I think we could do the same thing, maybe in your bulletin, maybe uh, on a card, or when you go home, you'll write down, here's my inventory. This is a few things that I've been given by God that I have, some things I can share with people. This is my inventory. And ask people as well. Ask friends. Ask a good friend, hey, what do you think, what's my inventory look like on the talents that I've been given? Like, what do I have? Because a lot of times we're going through life and we just don't see it. And the people around us go, oh my gosh, Look at that, and look at that, and look at that. You could share that. I mean, that's, you have that in spades. And we're going, really? I didn't realize that. So be honest when you make your inventory. Be honest with yourself. Don't have false humility. Don't have a bunch of pride, but just be honest. And be prepared to be surprised by what you have, by your God-given endowments. And then make a plan, right? This is where the good old, you know, once you figure out where you are, then you got to make a plan or you're not going to do it. If your gift is writing songs, you got to carve out some time in your schedule to write the songs. The songs don't write themselves. I mean, every once in a while, you're Taylor Swift and you wake up in the middle of the night and you just walk to your grand piano in the middle of your house and whatever else is going on and you just write the song in five minutes. But most of the time, the songs don't work like that, right? You have to carve out time in the morning when you're fresh for an hour before the kids get up and that's when you write your songs. That's when the stuff comes out. So uh, that's a good, a good thing to do is make a plan. What am I going to do with my gifts and when am I going to start? So I think of, when I think of talents and just the mysterious ways that God reaches out to others through our talents, I think of my friend Josh McAllister. And Josh and I met in college, and this is a friend of uh, Amberly and I. We, we now know his wife, and we got married around the same time. We met in college. He was from Garland. I was from New Mexico. He was a hippie. I was, he called me cowboy, and I called him hippie. And we were, we were good friends, strangely. Uh, and we just, all we could figure out that we had in common was Jesus. <laughs> you know, we, we started around the Wesley. We were like, yeah, I don't think like you at all. And he's like, yeah, I don't even know how you think. So, uh, and, and, you know, he was just a delightful guy. He was a drummer in our band at the Wesley Foundation. Uh, he was, he's an artist by trade, and he teaches art in a public school, but he paints and draws the most beautiful things. And his art is all, literally all over the world. 
And we have a piece of his art on our fireplace mantle. And, you know, we all find ourselves just pausing and looking at it. And it, you think that art, which was just something he did and put on a little 11 by 14, it's still having an effect on people all these 20-something years later. And he has art like that all over the place. So maybe you're an artist in that way. Maybe there's another thing. And you don't even realize the impact that it's having until you've shared it with others and 20 years later, people say, you know that thing you did for me, that meal that you brought me, that word that you encouraged me with, uh, that way that you came and helped me out when I was really in a dark place, made a big difference. So that's <clears throat> a great way to be inspired by this text, a great reminder for us. One pitfall to avoid, however, when responding to Jesus this way is we have to avoid leaning heavy on the we are always taking an exam way of living for Christ. You know what I'm talking about? It's like where we're constantly under the microscope. Like you wake up and you go to sleep, always under the microscope. I'm always taking a test. I'm always on call. I'm always, I know God is watching me and, I don't, you know, we go through this thing and we feel like we're constantly in the exam room. And that's not how God created us to live. Uh, to be sure, we will be judged for every thought and word and deed. And we know this. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, one day it will all be revealed for what it is, and there will be a judgment surrounding that. So we know that, and that's good to remember. However, there's a wider arc to this parable, and Jesus does not want us to forget this part. All right? So we move a little bit, and we remember our context, like last week. And we remember that chapter 23 of Matthew and chapter 24 of Matthew, they're talking to a particular group of people. Jesus is telling stories, and he's speaking directly to Israel as the third servant, okay? Israel, in this context, is the third servant that was handed a talent, and they went and buried it in the ground. And when I say Israel, I don't mean the nation state that was formed in the 50s, that's there now, that we have, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the people of God from uh, Abraham all the way out, right? This is the people of God that were gathered around. Jerusalem was their place. It was their holy place. And they had their spiritual leaders and all that stuff going on. And Jesus comes and he begins to talk to these spiritual leaders and he says, guys, y'all have been handed this talent and you're just burying it in the ground. You guys are like whitewashed tombs in chapter 23. You take all this time to make the outside look great. But on the inside, it's just full of bones. You're like the cup and the saucer that are, he says, you, you know, that you polish the outside, but inside it's dirty. He's like, wash the inside first. He constantly invites them to repent. Remember, he stands out and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem in chapter 23, how I have longed for you to repent, right? I want to gather you up like a mother gathers her, her hens or her chickens together. I want to bring you in. I want to bring you back into the family, but you're so far away. Because you won't repent. You just constantly run away. <laughs> and he said, it's, it's like Israel, it's like the people of God, it's like the Pharisees had this false humility. Can you hear them saying what the guy that got the one talent said? Oh, I, we knew, God, that you were holy. We knew that you were a just God. And gosh, we just don't, you know, we're, we're just lowly servants. We're just, we're just holy people. We, we're not going to mingle with all those sinners. And we, we don't really know about trading. We don't know about the world. You know, we're just standing out here like they're just playing that dumb card. Like, oh, no, we, we're just the holy people. We don't dirty our hands trading around. Jesus says you tithe mint and dill and all this stuff, and that's great. But 
but you neglect the weightier matters of the law. So this weight of talent, the weighty matters of the law, you neglect that. Faith. Serving the poor. And so think about the word sloth. You know, depart from me, you wicked and slothful servant. My favorite translation of sloth is not laziness. Uh, Sloth is simply the failure to meet the demands of love. In virtue theory, that's what sloth is. It's the failure to meet the demands of love. It's like we can't, we, we just won't take the risk or ri- we won't be courageous and go out and meet the demands of love. That's when we're being slothful. So the Pharisees are just, they fit the bill perfectly. Jesus even said, you're locking people out of the kingdom of heaven. You're keeping, not only are you failing to enter yourselves, but you're locking other people out. That's how bad it's gotten. You've taken your one talent that I gave you, this precious talent, and you've, you've buried it, and you've kept it for yourself. So the word in chapter 24 then is, you're about to lose your precious city. Jerusalem is about to be destroyed, uh, and that's, that's how it's going to be. And it came to pass uh, not too long after that, that that's what actually did happen. So that's the word toward the Pharisees, toward the slothful servant that just took the one thing and didn't, put it back out there. And so what is he telling the, the disciples, though? He's saying, look, you guys have this golden opportunity. And speaking to us as well, we are the, we're the disciples of Sweetwater, Texas, here and now, uh, and in the church, and we have the opportunity to share the mystery. We have the opportunity to share the talents, the weighty bags of God's presence that we carry with us. We have the mystery. It's been revealed to us. Remember in chapter 13 of Matthew, the disciples come to Jesus and they said, why did you speak to them in parables? You know, we don't understand why you're telling these riddles. It's confusing. And Jesus said, well, to you it has been given to know the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. See, so everybody had a shot at it. He's like, I'm telling the riddles because these, these people over here have had a shot. And they, they constantly take the words of God and they manipulate them and they distort them and they keep other people from knowing the real God. And even what they have will be taken away. But for those with ears to hear, for the children and those who seek to humble themselves, this is just going to grow you know, you're going you're gonna to welcome this one talent and this two talents and this five talents. And before you know it, you're going to have 10 and you're going to have 20. And you're going to give those away and you're going to think you're impoverished. But you're going to realize that God continues to fund those talents. And the well just continues to be full. So this is where the those who have uh, more will be given comes into play. Uh, we share what we've been given, and it's like drawing from a well. It doesn't, it doesn't run dry because we're not giving something that belongs to us. I don't have a corner of, on the market for what God has given me. I, I didn't create it. It wasn't my idea. So if I have it, I give it away. I share it. And that's why when you go back to the well, there's more. It's still there. If you're teaching, if you're healing, if you're serving, if you're exercising hospitality, and you're just tired and you don't know if you can do it again, and you go back to the well, and you go, oh, yeah, that was a gift that came from Jesus in the first place. And as long as he's called me to do this, he will continue to fund that. This is truly good news. Uh, the talent of the gospel is being taken away from Israel, from God's people, because they refuse to share it with the world. He's given them the gospel, the good news, 
that Christ is born among them, and they just kind of, you know, shun it. They hide it. They dig a hole and leave it alone, and they're not sharing it with the world. So even what they have is being taken away because anything that's given to them, if they're not going to use it, God says, all right, we're going to find somebody that will. This is too good to not be shared with the world. This is how the gospel works. I mean, if it's not good news, if it's not really actually good news, then we're doing something wrong. We're missing something here. If it's not finding someone who's in a dark place and thinks they can never be forgiven and some word to them doesn't remind them that they can be forgiven and there's still hope, if, if we're not working in that sort of economy, then we're missing something. This is truly good news. And I know for me, when I'm actually practicing this way of life, when I'm living and believing the gospel, and I recognize where my status with God and everything that I've been given that I don't deserve, and the healing and the forgiveness that I've experienced, not because I was smart enough, not because I worked hard enough, but because of God's mercy, that's the point that I genuinely want to share it with others. That's when I go, oh my gosh, this is, this is too good to hold on to. This is not mine to begin with, and it's overflowing, and I have to tell somebody about it. Uh, that's what all preaching and teaching and serving in the church should be like. Now, there are those times we don't feel that way or it doesn't seem that way, but that's what it's like. It's a well. It's not sitting there and we're having to pump the water, you know. So back to how the kingdom of heaven is like horse trading. The best traders, you know, they know their clients, right? They know Joe Bob over here, and they know Jim Bob over here, and they, so when they're out surveying the world and surveying their own resources, they go, ooh, that'd be great for Joe Bob, and that'd be great for Jim Bob. And I think I'll share, sorry if there's any Joe Bobs or Jim Bobs out there. I think I know both, uh, but they're not here today, so uh, if they hear it, you know, forgive me. But I, now, and, and it's like, you could say that a good trader knows the way to their client's heart. They know what they really need. And again, I'm not talking about being shady here. I'm not talking about, we're not peddling the gospel. We're not selling Jesus to anyone. Don't, that's not what I'm saying. But we're sharing something dear to us. And we begin to survey the world and we see where there's a need. We see where someone doesn't have hope. We see where someone doesn't have faith. We see where someone is run out of love. And we get to look around and go, okay, that's the perfect place that I can go share this talent. So I want to change the everything is for sale because nothing is sacred. For us to kind of leave here, you know, last week we left with a song, uh, Give Me Oil in My Lamp, and hopefully uh, that was troubling your family as well as it would have troubled my family had they been around to hear me singing it. Uh, but that prayer, but we're, we're changing that a little bit to conclude from everything is for sale because nothing is sacred to everything is for sale because life is too sacred to hold on to. It's too sacred to hide. It's not for sale, really. It's for gift. Everything is for gift because life is precious and it must be shared. It's too precious to hold on to. Has anyone else like me got a box of garden seeds in your shed? And, you know, they sit there and you don't get around to planting everything that you think you're going to plant. And then five years later, you realize the germination rate has gone from 85 to like five. And so then you finally go plant and it's too late. They're no good. And it's, it's like back to the shooting deal, you, you know, 100% of the seeds that we don't plant, we will never get a harvest from. And so we remember 
as we take inventory, as we evaluate, as we prepare to share the talents that we've been given, the image that we leave with today is the image of Jesus, right? This is Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who had all the talent. The world itself was created through him and for him and by him. He had it all. He had all the talent. And he invested everything that he had in the bank of the cross. He gave all of it away. He ran and ventured to the dark place. We see that ending and it's just so gripping. Uh, They were cast away into the outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we realize that Jesus himself faced that darkness so we wouldn't have to. The Greek phrase is skatos exoteron, the outermost darkness. That's the place that Jesus went for us so that we don't have to face the extreme darkness. Jesus went there and he even faced death and separation from God so that we wouldn't have to. And that's the gospel. That's good news. Everything is for gift. We'll change it from sale. Everything is for gift because life is too sacred to hide away. The kingdom of heaven is like horse trading. Everything we have is to be traded. It's to be given because the life of Jesus is too sacred to hide away and bury. It must live in us and it must be the well that we share with the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.